But it really is a pleasure to be with you. I'm very excited to be able to join in in the series, Jesus Rediscovered. Jesus Rediscovered, what a great series to try, find out again, anew, afresh, who is Jesus? Such an important topic, who is Jesus? And in Christianity, we're not, in, in, in Islam, you have the perfect book. That's what the, the Muslims teach is the book is perfect, perfectly preserved, and they think they have the perfect book. We don't believe that in Christianity. We understand that our Bible was written by people, 100% written by people, 100% written by the Holy Spirit, but there's, there's still, yeah, errors in translations and, and all that, and, and we have great theologians that work so hard to maintain the Bible, but we don't believe in, a, in just a perfect book. We believe in a perfect person. Christianity is about the perfect Jesus, and, and we need to get closer to the person of, of Jesus. And like we're saying this morning, um, the name above it all, your name is the greatest, your name is the highest. We're saying that. And, and, and the name of Jesus is this powerful, powerful name. But sometimes that's where we leave it. We sometimes leave it at the name. We think if we just sprinkle a little bit of name over our life, if we just sprinkle a little bit of the name of Jesus, then we've got, in the name of Jesus, I've got power to salvation. In the name of Jesus, I've got power for healing. In the name of Jesus, I've got power for this, I've got power for that. Is it just the name, Jesus? Is it those syllables, Jesus? Because that's not how it was said in the Greek. In Greek, it was said, Jesus. And in, in, in Hebrew, because Jesus was Hebrew, it was, it was said, Yeshua. So is there power in, in just, is it like an incantation? I've just got to say, Jesus, and then my life has changed. No. There's no power in the word, Jesus. There's power in the name that's connected to the person of Jesus. And so there's power in your relationship with Jesus. If you want power in the name of Jesus, you better get to know the Jesus behind the name. There's no power in just sprinkling a few syllables over your life. There's power in getting to know the person Jesus. And I can relate a bit because here in South Africa, you guys call me Gavin. And I love it because that's what my mom calls me. Sometimes calls me... Do you know how they pronounce my name in the French-speaking Switzerland? John. Completely wrong. <laughs> I've chosen to go by the name John, so I'm actually Pastor John in Switzerland. It's because they can't say Gavin. They say Gavin or Gavin, and that's not my name. That's not what my mom and dad called me. Gavin. If it was your name... <laughs> So they call me John now. And, and that's a completely different pronunciation of what I've been called my whole life. But I tell you, when they say John, I respond. Okay? When they say John, I know who they're talking to. They're talking to me. And so I reply. When we say Jesus, we're calling on a person. When we say Jesus, we're calling on the Most High God. Getting to know Jesus in this series is so exciting. We did, we did a similar series at the end of last year at my church. We did the series called Je Suis, um, which is I Am. And we looked at the seven I Am statements of Jesus. We decided that we wanted to get to know who Jesus was in his own words. And so we did discover Jesus in his own words. And when Paul said that I could preach, which is very kind of him, thanks, Paul, uh, I I immediately got this impression on my heart that God wanted me to share with you uh, the, the, the topic that I'm going to be talking about this morning, and that's the 
I am the resurrection. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, you can find, or if you're in the notes, it'll be right there, nice and simple. Um, you'll find it in John chapter 11, where Jesus is talking to Martha and Mary because their brother, well, actually just Martha, because their brother Lazarus has died, and, and Jesus wants to challenge her. And so he says to her in verses 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And she struggles to understand it. But this is what Jesus says about himself. He says, I am the resurrection. If we want to get to know Jesus, we've got to know him as the resurrection. And that's what we're going to be studying a little bit this morning. So how about we just pray before we continue? I thank you, Father God, for sending your son Jesus onto the earth and letting us know who you are through your son. Thank you for sending us the Holy Spirit that he may reveal to us Jesus, all of this so that we can get closer to you, Father. And so I pray that we will allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts to reveal Jesus that we may fall more in love with you. Thank you for this church. Thank you for what you're doing here. And I pray, God, you be glorified this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in John chapter 12, Jesus goes on to explain a little bit about what he says. In, in verse 24, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So this is Jesus now explaining what does it mean that he's the resurrection. If a grain of wheat is buried and, and falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Fruit. And this is a principle that I'd like for us to get. So to understand resurrection, the best study that we can do is look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So I'm going to preach this morning on 1 Corinthians 15. And what happens in 1 Corinthians 15, just to give you some context, Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he's saying, he's, he's answering kind of this belief that they had that there's no resurrection after death. The Corinthians seem to believe that when you die, there's life after death, but but no resurrection. You just continue to kind of exist in, in some kind of erythral existence. And, and Paul comes and, and, and counters that with a teaching on the fact that, yes, there's a resurrection. So we're going to be looking at the whole of the chapter from, from verse 12 to 56, but for time we're not going to read it. In it there, he talks about all the benefits of the fact that there is a physical resurrection. And we're going to look at three things quickly this morning. The first one being our resurrection from the law, okay? Our resurrection from the law. In verse 56, Paul says, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. So looking at the principle, if something has to die for there to be a resurrection, our first point is we have resurrection from the law. We can put to death the law. What does that mean? That means that we are dead to the law so that we can be alive to Christ. Amen? You can look that up in Romans 7 verse 4, Galatians 2 verse 19. We are dead to the law. We are dead to our own efforts. We are dead to what we can do, to what we can do to earn salvation. We're dead to that, and we're alive to the grace of Jesus Christ, but we can only be alive to the grace of Jesus Christ if we are dead to the law. And so my question is, what do you do when you get to the end of your efforts? What do you do when you get to the end of your control? 
I know that in, in South Africa, um, we have Sangomas, okay? And a lot of people, and witch doctors, and a lot of people, when they get to the end of their efforts in South Africa, they'll turn to the witch doctor in desperation for help. And, and many times in, in our Western culture, we'll look at that and we'll be like, ah, but that's, that doesn't work at all. That's not true. Then I went to Switzerland, the peak of Western civilization, where we have the WHO headquarters and UN headquarters and these CERN things. I don't even know what they are. But these, like, technology that we can't understand, all happening in Switzerland. And you know what I discovered? In every hospital, they have this thing called the secret. The secret is... When the doctors get to the end of their efforts and they think there's no more hope for their patient, they have a list of numbers in the hospital, every hospital, that they phone and people, and they phone this number, they give them a photo or they give them the name, they give them the details of the patient and these people do a little something, something, do a little incantation, sacrifice a frog. I don't know what they do, but many times healing is brought because of that. These people get to this place of desperation that they turn to any kind of spirituality. And a pastor did a research on, on this, and he found that people do get healed from what they were asking for, healing for, and immediately get another sickness. It's incredible how, how it works, but the enemy knows how to copy, Right? So my question is, what do you do when you get to the end of your efforts, the end of your hope? Because clearly around the world, everyone is turning to something greater than them. Everyone is turning to something that has more power than them. What do you turn to? What do you turn to when you have no, no more hope? Are you padding nicely your bank account so that you are fully in control? Are you advancing in your career so that you can just maintain control? Are you making sure you're the, the smartest, funniest, most popular person in the room so that you can be in control? Where are you finding your salvation? Because I'm here to tell you this morning that there is nothing that we can do to add to our salvation. There is absolutely nothing that we can do to add to our salvation. The idea that there is a God that created this universe. The other day I was showing my son the size of Canis Majoris, that massive planet. And it's just unfathomably, unfathomably big. The idea that we serve a God that created that. And there is something we can do that will impress him or add to his idea of who we are, is a laughable idea. There is nothing that we can do. This is why Christianity is the only religion that says you cannot earn your salvation. You cannot be a good enough person. You cannot go to church enough times. You cannot give enough money to the poor. You cannot do anything to earn salvation. All those things we do because, guess what? Jesus is the resurrection. He is our resurrection. Have you put to death every pathway to earn in your own salvation? Pride, 
Selfishness. Are you putting that to death? Secondly, we have resurrection from sin. Resurrection from our sin. In verse 17, it says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sin. We are now dead to sin so that we can be alive to faith. We need to be dead to our sin. Now, this might get uncomfortable when we talk about sin. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We need to crucify our sin. I'll tell you a story. I don't see Dan Rob here this morning. But I was playing tennis with him probably 10 or 15 years ago in his, in his back garden. He had a tennis court and we were playing tennis. And, and Dan's really funny because it was his way of discipling me. So we would get into the zone, like the zone tennis. And that's where it was fully competitive and Dan was in the zone and, and he would, he would want to like just defeat me with all, and it was easy. He would beat me every time. And then, and then we'd play like four square and I'd be, I'd be concentrating so hard and trying to beat him, get him back. And he's just like discipling me while he's smacking the tennis ball back and still beating me. But in the zone one day, while we're playing this tennis, he hits the ball, a beautiful backhand, and there's no ways I can get to it, but it goes out. Now I win the point, so now he's frustrated. And the ball slowly rolls, slowly rolls, slowly rolls, and it rolls out the door of the tennis court gate, which was open this much. The door was open this much, and the tennis ball rolled out. And I was like, ah, oh, what are the chances? And he was so frustrated that he just flippantly said, a lot bigger if the door's open. And I was like, yo, that is deep. But he was just saying it out of anger. He's like, oh, the ball's gone as well. I've lost the point, now the ball's gone. But I like, had to pause there. I was like, a lot bigger if the door is open. That is powerful. That is a powerful image for me that I've taken into my spiritual life. I cannot just slowly close the door on sin. I need to close the door completely on sin. What doors to sin have you left open? Maybe you don't want to participate in a certain sin anymore and you think you've dealt with it, but you're still leaving the door open because it was kind of cool at the time. It was fun. So you don't want to close that door completely. What doors to sin have you not closed? We need to be crucified to sin, walking away from sin. I think you know what sin God wants you to close the door to. I think the Holy Spirit is talking to you personally about the sin in your life that you haven't closed that door to. We need to crucify our sin to have a resurrection in Jesus. Amen. I know that talking about sin can be a relative subject, especially in church, because we think, yeah, sin is bad, eh? But I'm not doing as bad as other people. Yeah, 
maybe I should stop doing this, or maybe I should stop doing that. But there's other people, even in church, who suffer worse than I, so it's okay. But I'm here to tell you this morning that you're comparing yourself to the wrong person. We want to discover Jesus. You've got to compare yourself to Jesus. Your attitude towards that sin needs to be the same as the attitude Jesus had to that sin. Am I right? I'm preaching to myself. We all have something in our lives that we need to step away from. We need to close the door on. And finally, we need to have a resurrection from death. Amen. Now, that's cool. Resurrection from death. I don't know about you, but I don't like the idea of death. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 42 to 44, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. It is raised in a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. There is an eternal resurrection that's waiting for us. There is an eternal resurrection that is waiting for us. In 2 Corinthians, Paul said in chapter 4, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to you more and more people, so, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self has been renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We have an eternal resurrection waiting for us. What does that mean? That means that this life is going to pass away. You are going to die. I am going to die. This life is not as important as we think it is. This life is not where we find our salvation. This life is not where we find our meaning. This life is not where we find our purpose. This life is not where we find our joy. And how often do we forget that? How often do we forget that and try to make everything about this life? This whole life is leading to an eternity. And you know, when you die, you're going to stand before the Almighty God. Whether you like it or not, you are going to stand before the Almighty God in a moment where you will feel the most powerless you have felt in your entire existence. There is absolutely nothing you'll be able to do, nothing you'll be able to say to this being in front of you who created you and who asked you to live in a way that honors him, who asked you to enter into a relationship with him. You're going to stand before this being that maybe you have rejected in order to live a life that pleased you. And in that moment, 
of feeling completely helpless, of feeling completely overwhelmed by the majesty, the power of this being standing in front of you. He's going to judge because he can. And Jesus is going to stand in front of me because I put my faith in him. And God, when he looks at me, he's going to see Jesus. And he's going to judge me based on Jesus. There is nothing I can do in this life to change that being's mind in that moment. There is no amount of money that I can show him, no sports award I can show him, no amount of kilograms I can bench press. There is no amount of anything. I can't show him how great my children are. I can't show him how far I got in my career. I can't show him how hard I worked until 10 o'clock every night. I can't show him how many times I went to church. I can't show him how broken my heart was in worship. I can't do any of those things in that moment. I am completely helpless and at his mercy. He can do with me whatever he wants. And in that moment, Jesus will stand in front of me and say, he's put his faith in me. And then I'll be saved for an eternity, a resurrection of eternity because of what Jesus did. We have an eternal resurrection, a physical resurrection, which means this life is not everything. In 2012, I was working as an engineer, and I had a pretty good deal going on, and then I felt God called me to be a missionary. And that was pretty inconvenient. It wasn't what I wanted to hear. And so I resisted for an entire year I just kept replying to that call. Who do you want me to tell that to? Eventually, a year later, I went for coffee with Paul. And I was like, Paul, this is going to ruin my life. And Paul played a game with me. The game was, what happens next? He said, all right, so God calls you to be a missionary. What next? So I say, well then I'm going to have to quit my job. He says, and what next? He's like, then I'm going to have to go to Brazil because I've been called to Brazil. He's like, what next? Well, then I'm not going to earn any money. He's like, well, what next? I was like, then I'm going to be a complete failure. He's like, what next? Then I'm going to have to come back to South Africa and be the laughing stock. I said, what next? Then I'm moving with my parents. He said, what next? I find a job and start building again. He's like, so what's the problem? I just realized how much I was trusting myself to build my life. I had built my life on my efforts. I was, was busy building my life on my efforts. I was busy building my life on my strength, my accolades, what I could achieve. I hadn't had a, a self-sacrifice of my life yet. And you know what pushed me over the edge? You know what really pushed me to quit my job and, and move to Brazil? The fact that I saw more smiles on the faces of the poor than on the rich. 
The fact that joy is available equally to every single person in the world. It isn't something you can buy. And when I saw that and I realized, I realized that and I was like, if I come back a failure and poor, maybe I'll just be happy. And that's okay. God is available in equal portion to every single person in this building. It doesn't matter how rich you are, how poor you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you haven't done. God isn't looking at what you've done. God isn't looking at you to impress him. God is looking at you to love his son, Jesus. God is looking at you to receive his son, Jesus. And so you know what he did? He sent his son, Jesus. He sent his son, Jesus, to demonstrate love for us. And so Jesus suffered. Again, the only religion where God suffers. It is offensive in other religions to say that God would suffer. It's offensive to say that. But you know what that means for you? Is that you serve a God that can relate to your suffering. He knows what you're feeling. When you pray and you struggle to find the words to express the suffering that you're going through, Jesus knows because he suffered. When you're frustrated and betrayed, when you feel let down, guess what? Jesus knows because he experienced the same. And we can, we can suffer. We can suffer in our families. We can suffer in our jobs. We can suffer in our church. Ah, the church is the worst. People in church are the worst. Oh, guess what? People out there aren't any better. We're all victims of the fall. We suffer. And Jesus knows that experience. And do you know what he did? He stayed faithful. He stayed faithful because this life is not about the other people. This life is not about comfort. This life is not about overcoming or, or, or getting rich. Or, or This life is about Jesus and submitting to the Father God. And yes, that means that you can experience all the wonderful things that come with it, but you are not entering into a relationship because of that. You're entering into a relationship with Jesus because of the person of Jesus. And our prayer for you is that in the series, Jesus Rediscovered, you will discover Jesus. Not for what he can give you, not for what he can do in your heart, but because he's worth it. And so after suffering, Jesus went to the cross. He went to the cross. I don't know if you've ever hurt your hand or if you've ever been pierced by something or if you've ever suffered from hunger or if you've ever struggled to breathe, if someone's hit you in the, in the solar plexus here and you can't breathe. And Jesus chose to go through all of that. Against all of his fleshly desires, he still pushed through to go through all of that. To demonstrate that he loves you to demonstrate that what he says about his love for you is not just words, it's truth. And it's something you can depend on. 
people are going to let you down. Your job is going to let you down. This life is going to be full of disappointments. Jesus showed that he's ready to go all the way. We need to know the resurrection. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Have you put to death the physical to have life with Jesus? I want to invite you this morning to close your eyes. I want to invite you to just ask this Jesus. Ask this Jesus to reveal himself to you. Ask this Jesus to answer your prayer. Ask him to show you who he is. I want to invite you this morning to open your heart to Jesus. And like David prayed, I want to invite you to pray. Father, point out anything in me that offends you. That I may get away from this flesh and become alive to Christ. So pray that prayer with me this morning. Father, point out anything in me that offends you. That I may submit myself entirely to you. We're not perfect, Father God. Only Jesus is perfect. And we want to worship the perfect man. We want to worship Jesus, who showed his love for us. We want to put to death, Father, all these things that offend you, all these things that are getting in the way of our relationship with you, all these things that are becoming a barrier between us and you. We want to put that to death so that we can discover your son, Jesus. We want to become alive in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is a mystery that we might not even understand in the physical. But we don't want to be people of the physical only. We want to be people of Jesus. So I invite the Holy Spirit to speak into the hearts of every person in this building. I invite you to show us and convict us the things that we are putting in place that are taking our attention away from you and making us think that we don't need you, making us think that we're fine without you. Pray for forgiveness. And I pray for resurrection in Jesus' name. Amen.